Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Get away from her, you bitch! Everybody. Welcome to another episode of uh, Cup and Collective Podcast. It's Dave AC in the chair. Ian sends his apologies. He may join us later, but uh, welcome everybody again on uh, Sunday the 15th of uh, September. And we're up to episode 220 of the Cup and Collective. But in actual fact, I think this is episode 398 when you take into account all our uh, 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 other work that we've done, studio episodes, interviews, and of course our commentaries, which are on zarban.com. Um, we've got a, a, a slightly smaller than usual room today, but nonetheless, we will uh, hopefully have a, a good discussion about the topic, which is exoskeletons stronger on the outside. And we'll explain a little bit about what the uh, the whole idea of that is and, and what we feel comes under the umbrella of that title. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to introduce people that we have on audio and in the room, and then we will go on to uh, news. So um, let me, uh, first of all, uh, welcome Jeff into the room, who's uh, here and hopingly, hopefully, he's going to help me run today's show. Hi, Jeff. I'm running your show today? Wow. Help. I didn't know that. Well, you could, you could do. You could do. In fact, <laughs> if, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll come and sit inside your head like a tessellator, and that you can run the show that way. Oh, I How's thought that? this was exoskeletons, Dave, not just you know, sitting inside uh, and controlling. Okay. Oh, well, well there you I'm go. Here today, yeah. Dave. Oh, good. Thank you very much indeed. We've also got Rick Wall on audio. Hi, Rick Wall. Hello, hello. Hey, it's not too long since I was talking to you because, of course, we were both on Talking Twilight Zone only uh, a day or so ago, and very <coughs> enjoyable that was too. Yeah. Good lad. 
Uh, we've also got uh, Mike Randall Four, the third member of our uh, commentary team and also a podcaster in his own right. Hi, Mike. Oh, wait, that's a different podcast there. That's Friday Night Trivia. Hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. <laughs> well, why don't you give uh, Friday Night Trivia a plug while you're at it? Well, will do. Of course, this coming Friday, I'm hosting uh, this uh, this next edition of Trivia, so I've been working on material, but uh, a lot of the members of Coltum Collective have become regulars there. It's uh, Friday Night Trivia on uh, Radio Free Kingland, talk show ID 72402. That's where you can find it. Okay, thank you very much. And just before I, uh, well, no, no, let's introduce the other person that's on audio, and then I'll mention the other podcasters' show who's in the room with us today. Uh, but let's first introduce Ken. Hi, Ken. Hello. Hello, Ken. Are you there? Self-muting. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> You're so You're doing very so well. <laughs> oh, yes. Good. Doing very Good. well today. Uh, well, well, thank goodness it's not Friday the 13th any longer because uh, there were shenanigans and all sorts of things on mics. That's true. Very successful it was. Very funny, uh, but not without incident. Um, I do urge people who are friends of the Cult Collective to go and uh, catch uh, Mike's show. Um, a bit of hilarity, a little bit more irreverent than the what we try to do here, and obviously uh, mainly going off topic, but uh, good fun is had by all, and it's usually obligatory to drink, uh, bring a beverage of some sort, preferably alcoholic if you ask me, but uh, that's just my opinion. Um, and uh, before I just introduce those people under the cone, let me just say, well, I'll introduce one first, almost peeping out of the cone, as it were, because he's come here under another name. And that's just to mention that um, uh, there's the Media Outsiders, Logan's show, the Media Outsiders, which will be on Torchu later today at 10pm Eastern Day at that time. That's call ID 81865. Uh, I'm not too sure of his topic. Uh, this, oh, the family. Oh, well, that's uh, that's a good topic. Because uh, that's what Ian's doing today. He's looking, taking care of his family. Unless the family, of course, is a TV series that I am not aware of. No, it's a movie. Oh, it's a movie, is it? Thank you very much for that, Rick Wall. Is it what sort of genre is it? Is it comedy, horror, or what? Mob. Mob? Ah, as in like a Sicilian family, you mean? Familia. Yeah, it's sort of, it, it, it's, I believe it, it's actually a comedy. I'm not sure. It, the, the trailers make it look like a comedy, but I, you know, I'm not exactly sure. Um, um, it's about a mob family that's in uh, witness protection, and they get even with uh, the mob somehow. Ah, Rob. Uh... Robert Dero is a mob family in witness protection. In is that yeah. France? Ah, right. Thank you very much indeed, Normandy. Okay. Well, let's um, let's let's just shuffle him back under the cone of silence. Control new agent training program section three point five. The cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? 
It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And along with Logan, under there is Chuck, Cybob, Mac Hal. Someone has to. Well, his name's so long, I can't read it all. Uh, guest seven, Old Hobe, and guest eight. And you're most welcome uh, on today's show. And uh, without any further ado, we've got a few number people in the room that do have news for us. So let's go to the news. Go, may, monkey, go. Well done. And for that, you get the uh, the honor of going first, Ken, please. All right. Uh, first news update, the wonderful Gallifrey One convention, which happens in Los Angeles every year, uh, Doctor Who Media Convention, now in its 25th year, February 14th through 16th of 2014. They're delighted to welcome a new batch of confirmed guests. First off, Kate O'Mara, the Ronnie herself, will be appearing. And then wonderful actress Jean Marsh, who was in the original William Hartnell episode, The Crusade, and Dalek Master Plan, and uh, starred along Sylvester McCoy in Battlefield, uh, known for essaying the role of Sarah Kingdom. She'll be appearing. Also Jacqueline King, the mother of Donna Noble, uh, Catherine Tate's wonderful character, uh, the part of Sylvia Noble. She'll be appearing. Uh, the nifty actor Deep Roy of, of Indian descent, who uh, was the Peking homunculus in the towns of Wang Chiang, and he's huh. been in such films as X, X-Files, Flash Gordon, Return to Oz, Dark Crystal, and um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And um, most recently is the alien sidekick to Mr. Scott in Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness. And also Jamie Glover, the son of uh, wonderful actor Julian Glover. Uh, he'll be there. He, he uh, was in Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, CAD File, um, and does voices for a number of Star Wars games, including uh, Star Wars Old Republic. Toby Haddock, uh, known for his great one-man show, Moth's Ape, My Doctor Who Scarf. Um, he'll be uh, performing his new show, My Stepson Stole My Sonic Screwdriver. He'll be doing that one-man show at Gallifrey. And also some return guests, uh, famed science fiction writer and triple creator David Gerald, um, audio writer and comedian Nev Fountain, um, author Richard Dimmick, and Iris Wildheim illustrator Paul Hanley. And there was sadly a cancellation. Um, Bonnie Langford, due to professional commitments, won't be appearing, but she'll uh, be approached to appear a, a, a following year. It looks wonderful. Hey. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, no, that's absolutely marvelous. Uh, I, my pronunciation will be slightly different on a couple of those names. Uh, in the UK, we pronounce it Toby Haydock, and I'm, Julian, we pronounce Julian Glover. But uh, no I, doubt that's... I will, acquiesce, I will acquiesce to your expertise. 
<laughs> Thank you for that. That's a dangerous route. No. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff has done that before now and then found out I've led him up the garden path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. And that's the update for that and all the news that I have fitted. Excellent news. Thank you very much. Always welcome for your insights uh, on what's happening on the uh, the West Coast. Thank you. Is this, is it West? Yeah, West Coast, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Mike, who's on audio with us. And Mike has a couple of items of news. Actually, go to Jeff first. I'm organizing my notes here, checking over a few Okay, things. certainly will do. Jeff, could you step in, please? Certainly. Um, BBC America has been airing these specials that they've been producing called The Doctors Revisited. And it appears that they are now going to be aired in the United Kingdom on the channel called Watch. And it will be on that channel starting on Saturday, October the 12th. And they're, what they're going to do is they're going to play them on Saturday and Sunday. Um, for, they'll have the first doctor on Saturday, October the 12th, and the second doctor on October the 13th. And the following week, they'll show the third doctor on the 19th and the fourth doctor on the 20th. Now, what's kind of interesting is, I, at first, I didn't think they were going to show the stories that BBC America has been airing after they had aired the, the specials. On, uh, but Watch is going to be airing the same stories uh, for the first doctor. After the special, they'll be airing the Aztecs. Um, for the second doctor, the Tomb of the Cybermen. Uh, the third Doctor, Spearhead from Space, and the fourth Doctor, Pyramids of Mars. Now, Watch doesn't have a schedule set up for beyond October the 20th yet, but presumably they will also be airing the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th Doctor specials um, on the preceding weekends at the same time at 2 p.m. Uh, also, one other thing that the Watch channel is going to be doing on October the 12th um, to celebrate all this. They're also going to be showing a couple of other documentaries from BBC America. Uh, at 4.30 p.m., they're going to be showing the Companions special documentary. And then also on the 12th at 5.30 p.m., they're going to be showing Doctor Who Explained. So a lot going on on the, uh, the Watch channel in the U.K., Okay, yeah, it's uh, it's good because we've felt a little bit shortchanged over here in the UK with all the things that's uh, been happening uh, in the BBC America and so on. But um, that is a, a great development, uh, a, a rather unusual channel to have taken up this uh, option. But no doubt it's going to increase its profile here in the UK. It's not uh, really a mainstream channel. According to yeah. what I just uh, looked up, it's got uh, 2.5 million subscribers. Right, but I'm sure at any one time, the the chances of having much more than 100, 150,000 watching is pretty bad. I mean, that's one of the things about Sky here in the UK. I mean, Sky is in something like uh, 12 million homes in the UK, maybe even more like... Uh, 18 million now, but they have such a diverse number of channels that they can have just, you know, tens of thousands watching individual programs simply because it's such a fragmented grouping. I mean, one of the things about um, 
BBC One and ITV One is they can still get, you know, eight eight million viewers for things like Doctor Who, for QI, for um, uh, new tricks, for Sherlock, uh, and obviously things like with um, the equivalent of Dancing with the Stars, which is called Strictly Come Dancing, and then again with things like on the ITV, you know, the X Factor, Coronation Street, things like that, they can get up to even 11, 12 million viewers. Uh, indeed, uh, BBC were having something, I think they got up to about 20 million for the open ceremony of the Olympic Games. Uh, but a lot of these channels, I mean, even the uh, the big movie channels, which of course are, uh, you have the system in America, don't you, where they, the, you know, there's certain tiers, so you buy into one tier and then you go up to another tier. So some of the channels, of course, you have to be paying something like, and I kid you not, up to about 50 up to about $80 a month if you want to get all the movie channels all the basic channels and all the um you know the the sports channels if if you, uh, the 3D channels you can easily be paying 60 to 80 dollars um which is why more i yeah probably more than that indeed yeah more but, like uh, 3 you. or 400 a month but is it right, well, well anybody who's got that Start your own channel for that sort of money. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Okay, but thank you for that uh, added information, Rick Wall. Uh, Mike, how are you progressing? I'm ready with my news. Okay, please do. All right. First of all, this news came early this uh, earlier today, and it refers to the uh, the the upcoming third Star Trek movie in the J.J. Abrams uh, line, the the reboot line, I should say. it was a bleeding cool news, I believe, had the had the news here uh, confirming that J.J. Abrams will not be returning as director for the third in this reboot series of the Star Trek films. Of course, he was the director for Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness. He will, however, be remaining as co-writer and producer for the movies. So he he isn't leaving entirely. Of course, at the same time, Abrams is has been chosen as the director for at least Star Wars Episode Seven, So there's a lot going on with it with Abrams at this point, and uh, he's choosing to focus more on the Star Wars uh, project. So that's the uh, Star Trek move, uh, uh, movie news there. I'm just glancing at ch- uh, the chat there. So <laughs> TS User Sport says, bye-bye, lens flare. Uh, we'll see where that goes. But the other news, this came from earlier in the week. This was on Tuesday. Tuesday was an interesting day. It was an entertaining day for Doctor Who news. It was around 9.30, maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time, that the BBC posted an article with details on the scheduling for Doctor Who on the 23rd of November. And this article included the title and the run length of the 50th anniversary special. So... uh, if you want to avoid spoilers, uh, I'm going to say the title, but if you want to avoid spoilers, uh, skip ahead maybe 10 seconds because it'll be quick. The title is The Day of the Doctor, and it has a run length of 75 minutes. Spoilers over. To come back. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing that, Mike. I do appreciate you doing that. Spoilers over. But the article also had a lot of details for other programming that the BBC plans to do over all of its uh, news or TV channels and radio networks. Now, the funny thing about this is within 15 to 20 minutes, this article was gone. 
There was a return to four for a page error. This it was gone entirely. So I was left wondering, what what just happened here? Did they accidentally leak this news themselves? Did they break their own embargo? Because later in the day, they said they were saying on their Twitter account, BBC One Twitter account, stay tuned at midnight UK time for exciting Doctor Who news on how Doctor Who will be taking over. TV and radio, and they once again we have reference to the whole tagline that the BBC was using earlier this year: "Doctor Who will be taking over TV and radio for the 50th." But we have we have details. We we know what they're doing on the 23rd. Besides the Doctor Who anniversary special, we're getting all sorts of other stuff. We're getting on BBC what is it? BBC Two. We're getting a uh, um, a lecture from BBC Radio Two is having a, a, a documentary called "Who Was the Doctor." Um, just looking over their schedule here, BBC Two will have a lecture from Brian Co- uh, Professor Brian Cox talking about the, the, the science of Doctor Who uh, and does, uh, such topics as, does extraterrestrial life exist in our galaxy? Is time travel possible? How do you build something as fantastic as the TARDIS? We get that. On BBC Two, we're getting um, the, the BBC Two culture show presents Me, You, and Doctor Who with lifelong fan Matthew Sweet exploring the significance of Doctor Who. Uh, BBC Two has other coverage. With, um, they will, BBC Two will be airing An Adventure in Space and Time. That's the docudrama written by Mark Gaddis starring uh, David Bradley and all those others. Uh, that will be airing on the 23rd. Um, other things here, CBBC will be airing some Doctor Who pr- uh, programming featuring featuring some of the actors that have been on Doctor Who, including John Coleshaw, Warwick Davis, Neve McIntosh, Dan Starkey, and Louise Jameson, and Sylvester McCoy. They'll be on, on that program. There'll be at least there'll be two uh, live episodes of Blue Peter airing that day. Um, Doctor Who Monsters and Villains Weekend on BBC Three. Uh, and then over on, on the radio side, BBC Radio 2, I, as I said, Who is the Doctor they'll be airing. Uh, BBC Radio 1 will be airing a special on what's called Troc, Time Lord Rock, uh, band songs about, about Doctor Who. Radio 4 Extra airing a three-hour special called Who Made Who, looking at the uh, at what inspired and create, the people who created the show in the first place. So now we know how BBC is taking over uh, Doctor Who, how the, the Doctor Who is taking over TV and radio on the 23rd. The, uh, the interesting note here, the, the original article and the, with this announcement, they, they announced that BBC Three, BBC Four, would be airing, one of those two channels, would be airing a restored version of An Unearthly Child and the, the, the Caveman Story, 100,000 BC, a fully restored version. Now, this did what go up. This did go up, but in the t- in the, the the days since, BBC have recanted that, citing the, the resolution of issues with one of the with, with one of the episodes. So as of this point, BBC uh, will not be airing *An Unearthly Child* and *100,000 BC*. They have not confirmed what those issues are, but Benjamin Elliott and I have been throwing ideas back and forth. Benjamin Elliott suggests that it's because the Doctor smokes in a couple of episodes of the Caveman story. My suggestion is it's because because of a scene in one of the episodes of the Caveman story where the Doctor literally threatens to bash a caveman skull in with a rock, killing the guy, and is only stopped by Ian Chesterton. And either of those things, I don't think the BBC would, would want kids watching on Doctor Who. So. 
it's a bit like it's a bit like ET, isn't it? Where they change the guns to walkie-talkies or something. Oh, yeah. But there you go. That's what's going on with Doctor Who on the 23rd of November. Of course, that includes the global simulcast of the, the 50th anniversary episode, which they haven't... Which is interesting. This article, not, neither of these articles mentioned the global simulcast. Take note of that. Make about what you will. But that's my news. Thank you very much indeed for that, Mike. Yeah, um, and one thing that I've noticed on BBC site as well, uh, there's some nice wallpapers that um, are, are about the upcoming uh, stories, and uh, the, the the actual I put the wallpaper up. We've got a lovely wallpaper here with the. Uh, well, I won't say what's on it, but um, this the the point is that you can see an enemy. Uh, in the in in part of the detail of the wallpaper, so um, it gives you clues to what the enemy will be. But uh, again, so if you you know down think, oh, I'll have a nice pretty wallpaper for Doctor Who. You know, if you if you study, it's a bit like when we were we were studying the one with the shard, uh, where uh, the bells of Saint John one, and we were looking at that and we we're trying to figure out what all these spoon-like creatures were. And uh, there you go. So. Let me uh, just uh, mention a few things, and um, uh, let me start with something that's not Doctor Who. Um, in fact, most of the things I've got are not Doctor Who. So, um, and that is that, um, and this is something that I think Ken has uh, spotted recently that I put on the Cult Collective pa- uh, page. If you go to YouTube, uh, a person has put up the a Rod Sterling documentary in ten parts. It's um, from 1990 or 1996, I think. Um, uh, they're in sort of eight-and-a-half-minute eight segments. Um, the first, uh, the link that I put in the room, when it plays uh, the part one, it will automatically go on to uh, part two and so on. It's a playlist. But when it gets up to episode seven, that episode seven has been removed because of copyright material on it. It probably shows quite a lot of uh, Twilight Zone information in that one. So that's been... Uh, knocked on the head uh, and then you can it jumps you straight sorry it's is it six yeah it's, it's one of the episodes because it jumps you on one and then the last three episodes eight nine and ten aren't linked directly you have to actually individually link to those but i don't know if ken has had a chance to to watch wonderful. that yeah wonderful yeah they are i watched it last night after you put it up from talking twilight zone yeah it, it, it really is uh pretty great um let me uh, let me see if i've just got a little let me see if i can just find that clip uh because um i think some people in the room might actually appreciate that um um yeah i'll play this is a two minute clip um this uh, obviously he made his fame on live television live theater armchair 90 was it did we say it was called Rick Wall? Uh, Peter 90. Peter 90. And then he left that and then he went over to Hollywood and and then, of course, he was going to uh, be the runner of Twilight Zone. This is just a two-minute clip in between that. I drive a white convertible and now I drink my beer at Ciro's. I bought a 30-foot Chris Craft that has everything in it but the kitchen sink. My agent, Blanche, warns me not to overdo my subservience to the bitch goddess success. But I honestly don't think that Hollywood will spoil me. You know how they do it, Ernie. They give you $1,000 a week. 
and they keep on giving you a thousand dollars a week until that's what you need to live on. And then after that, you live every day. You're afraid they'll take it away from you. The Velvet Alley. Boy, that was one script where he let his guilt hang out on falling into the Hollywood rat trap. The infatuation with power and success, his relationship with an old agent. And I always felt that that Velvet Alley gave more insight into Rod's personality than anything he ever wrote or anything he ever told to any of his friends. It was the story of a young writer who'd come out from New York, who'd had some success, came to Hollywood, and, quote, went Hollywood. Grabbed the success and did everything that that success meant, including, at a given moment, dumping his agent in New York, who had struggled with him for so many years, and joining a larger office. Oh, you're a big man now. You can afford to delegate almost every unpleasant, inconvenient little act that you want to. But hurting friends, Ernie, this you can't delegate. It has to be a very personal pleasure. So don't stink up the air with a lot of plaintive quote about how miserable it is to be successful. Buddy, buddy, you don't know the meaning of misery. Not till you've been sold out by the people you love. A lot of Rod is in the Velvet Alley. Uh, a lot of Rod is in everything he ever wrote. This character that wants things, that, quote, has to use a Rod Serlingism, that has this hunger. It was a show no one wanted to buy. I wanted to do it for years, but they said, no, no, no. Fantasy in any form is out. And irony. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. And then, of course, it goes then more into the uh, the issues on the Twilight Zone. And uh, you've had two um, uh, recommendations there from guys uh, on the collective, uh, Rick Wall and Ken, as well as myself. So, uh, you know, not now, <laughs> but sometimes uh, give it uh, uh, a listen. So, um, well, thumbs uh, up to the entire body of work of Rod Serling. You know, <clears throat> if you seek out his best in Night Gallery, rec, uh, rec Room for a Heavyweight, anything that man worked on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a brilliant, brilliant yeah. writer. Okay, um, a couple of other things. Uh, Mike mentioned about. Um, uh, the science Brian Cox. Uh, there's a there's a program on BBC uh, here in the UK starting on Wednesday the ninth called Science Brit- Britannica. Uh, on the Golden Collective, we do from time to time stray into science, our pseudo science, our popular science, uh, and so we we do try and keep things on there. And of course, occasionally we have our uh, Perry, our NASA guy, come in and talk to us on 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 real you know, quality science, but um, when he's not here, we make do with what we've got, and so without Perry, we have to make do with just Brian Cox, but they, uh, we'd rather have Perry. Anyway, um, paying tribute to British, uh, the British has been a theme in the BBC's output recently, uh, and Brian Cox here points out how we have punched above our weight in the science lab and exposes an issue arising from our successes. Uh, to begin a three-part series that is entertaining and informative and thought-provoking, this week he looks at how advances based on corpse dissection, that's not very nice, is it? Corpse dissection, atom splitting, the double helix, vivisection, and genetic modification have invariably been greeted by dark mutterings from the suspicious public. 
So I suppose he's trying to demystify that and say that, you know, these people are not doing it because they just like cutting things up. Uh, but there are, uh, you know, very valid reasons and, and, and great scientific strides have been made because of that application. So it, it sounds as though it's going to be a little bit contentious. It sounds as though it's not going to shy away from those things. So in one sense, that is um, is good. Also here, um, I'm sorry, uh, I, I hope that uh, the members of the collective who are not in the UK appreciate some of these insights of what's going over at this side of the pond. Uh, obviously, as, just as uh, Ken is able to keep us informed uh, by the great goings on over in his neck of the woods and so on, uh, we try and bring our own little strengths to things. And this is on my Sunday paper. It's just... Um, uh, things about what's coming up in the autumn and um, I haven't got specific dates necessarily for here but um, uh, uh, what we've got is coming up um, Atlantis um, Move Over Merlin the BBC's latest primetime extravaganza is a mythical romp featuring Mark Addy as Hercules and Jack Donnelly as Jason and Juliet Stevenson I think quite a few people will know her name as the Oracle. Uh, that starts at the end of September, but I haven't actually got a date for that. And uh, Sherlock. Um, so he jumped and there was a gravestone. But come on, surely not. Prepare for the third series of Benedict Cumberbatch reboot. But again, it says around Christmas time uh, that is coming back. So um, those are two things to, to watch out for in that um there's also a rather intriguing picture with not much information of um david tennant as richard ii but i've got a feeling that that's in the theater not on tv uh trying to to look up uh, that but um obviously uh, i mean he's a great actor and does all these things over and above what he does on tv and i've just oh, got Dave, one Dave, excuse yeah I did read that that production is going to be shown in UK cinemas over a few days. Whether or not that's going to be either shown on TV or to DVD, that's a question. Right. Well, this, this article is a bit of a teaser, really, so it's not giving a lot of information. I'm just going to quickly sight-read through this, um, but I will take your uh, thing on that. Yeah, it probably is, in fact. Let me have a look. Theatre. Oh, no, it's not. It's just theatre. Yeah. Uh, Richard II. David Tennant tackles Shakespeare's most lyric king, Gregory Dorian directs. Royal Shakespeare Theatre, Stratford, October the 10th to November the 16th, then the Barbican, London, December the 9th to January the 25th. But no doubt, as they've done when uh, he's done the other... Uh, uh, you know, um, Shakespearean work that he did with um, uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Um, they actually did a film. They filmed it while they were on stage, didn't they, and, and did that. So no doubt that will go ahead. And you've just got one final thing, and unfortunately Ian isn't here, as I said right at the beginning. Uh, but in my paper again, um, a gold-covered DeLorean has just turned up. Um, uh the prediction of DeLorean ended 30 years ago, and of course, from the uh, Back to the Future. Uh, but apparently, there were three 
gold, well, there are actually two gold ones made, uh, and both have been donated to different museums, but apparently a third one was a, a, an object of a competition with this 24-garat cold-plated DeLorean. Uh, it was a prize for a raffle in 1985, uh, but it was later bought by this Carl Winters, who apparently uh, has driven only 600 miles on it, I think, and keeps it in his garage, and it's only rarely come out at certain exhibitions. But um, I don't know what they were doing doing this um, this actual, uh, uh, you know, raffle, because they mustn't have realised the sheer value of this. Um, the story of the third car, by the way, uh, this third car was built out of the spare parts for the two um, uh, gold cars that were originally built. Um, and... Um, let me have a look. Um, including the deal were approximately 2,700 stainless steel DeLoreans. Roughly 9,000 were made. And the parts to rebuild about 100 new cars. Crucially, these parts included a complete set of gold-plated spares for an American Express models. Those were the two that were gold. Um, it appears that they were then used to construct a third gold DeLorean that was given away in a raffle. So... Um, I mean, goodness knows what that is worth. A drivable, virtually pristine uh, third gold one. Um, it's um, doesn't really tell you... Well, I can't really read the whole article, but I thought people like here would be keen to know that there is a gold-plated DeLorean in uh, private hands. Well, where are we? We're up to 36 minutes. I think that's all the news. Did uh, nobody else have anything? So um, let's find out how you can join this great program called The Collective. If you enjoy listening, why not join The Collective and participate yourself? Or on TalkShoe, call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a sit point, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Yes, uh, thank you for that, uh, Logan. Um, uh, great that you did that. It is uh, Lynn is a great host, and Bobby of uh, Talking Twilight Zone, and Robert, and Rick Wall, and myself, and quite a few others go on that regularly. It's done once a fortnight, we uh, once every two weeks. We just did one on Saturday the 14th, so the next one will be on Saturday the 28th. Um, let me see if I can very, very quickly... Uh, tell you the um, the call series ID for that as we prepare to uh, get ready to uh, go on to our main topic which is for episode 220 exoskeletons stronger on the outside and just waiting for my little ever so long uh, list of uh, bookmarks to just uh, scroll finally through to uh, get up to that correct one and it's coming up now. Oh, the delay, the excitement. Dave, I can tell you the call number. Yeah. It's oh, well done, please. It's 68228. Call ID Thank 68228 you very much. on TalkShoe. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for that. And um, yeah, the, the the last one we did was talking uh, Twilight Zone, uh, Jesse Bell, which was episode 109 from series four of the uh, the show. And I think it's called Miniature, the episode that we're going to be talking about in two weeks' time. Yes. Thank you, Rick Wall. Okay, well, uh, with no further ado, with just a few of us on audio, oh, disappointed, Mike, you've dropped off. Um, never mind. Hopefully you will pop back on when we, we sort of uh, start talking. What we're talking about is exoskeletons. And briefly before the recording started, uh, I just wanted to mention that... Um, now, we're not talking about robots. We're not talking about, you know, completely... Com- uh, mechanical devices. We're not talking about cyborgs where a creature is entirely dependent on being inside uh, the actual, um, you know, the outer casing. We're talking about a human-operated, usually a human-operated machine that enhances their ability. So we're talking about um, exoframes, exosuit, exoskeleton, powered armor, um, uh, think... uh, Avatar, the APM suit, um, uh, from G.I. Joe, uh, the Accelerator, I think they were called, and uh, from different things, they've got different ones. We're not talking about passive hour uh, armor, we're not talking about force fields, we're talking about things that help survival, uh, life support, hostile environments, strength, uh, weaponry, and so on. And the very first opening clip that we played uh, in the intro was uh, from Aliens, the second of the Alien trilogy, uh, where of course Ripley gets inside the um, the power loader to take on the uh, alien in that. So uh, before we get going, um, I haven't got a lot of clips because, as I was saying before, um, most of the clips are just being Bing, bang, bash, bosh. Uh, there's not much uh, talking going on. But um, here's a very early one, well, fairly early one, from um, 1990, Robot Jocks. And then we'll go around the room and just get a, a feel for what people uh, think they can contribute to the topic. And um, it may not be that long a show, but here we go. This is Robot Jocks from 1990. a new age of combat. Human beings, genetically engineered to be the best fighters in history. Two champions. It isn't over until someone wins. <laughs> At war with each other. Kill it! I have already killed you. Two invincible men. Let's finish it, Alexander. Here now. The ultimate killing machines. I'm gonna get in this thing! And I'm gonna kick Robot Jocks. 
<laughs> and I put a link in the, some links in the room. Remember, you can use chat grabber to get these links at a later time. Just put in the call ID 54821, episode 220, and you'll find all the links. Uh, and I put a link there to Robot Jocks. But prior to that, let me just go straight to the wiki link before I bring uh, people in on audio. Um, and I'll go to Rick Wall first. But um, on the list of films featuring powered exoskeletons, um, the following is a list of films featuring powered exoskeletons, which are also known as powered armor, exoframes, or exosuits. And the list of the ones it gives there, and you can click on those links, um, but it has Aliens, which I played right at the beginning in the intro uh, from 1986, Avatar 2009, The Avengers 2012, District 9, 2009, Edge of Tomorrow 2014, not yet out, of course, uh, Elysium, 2013, G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobra, uh, 2009, the Iron Man trilogy from 2008 to today, Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions, not in the first film, but in the second and third films, Pacific Rim, the uh, Edris Silva film that's done quite successfully, really, for what is, some people would think, uh, a rather, you know, uh, simple concept. Uh, robot jocks are just played, and the Wolverine. So, um, Rick Wall, do you want to just make a, a, any basic comments? Uh, do you want to go straight in and, uh, and mention any films, or TV shows, or even games, or books where you're aware of exoskeletons being in the plot? Um, movies. You did a pretty good job on. I really can't add anything to that. Um, comics. Iron Man, of course. Um, uh, Justice League. Uh, when uh, Rocket Red and a few other uh, DC uh, um, suited um, uh, uh, characters appear. Um. Let's see. Uh, Starship Troopers, of course. Um, that's about all I can think of on the top of my head. Let me go get Daphne and see if she can uh, add more, since she's the more intelligent of the two of us. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think he is, actually. We'll, we'll go to another list in a minute as well. I just really want to... I mean, it doesn't matter if anybody just wants to say a sentence at this point, I went wants to go off on a diatribe for um, half an hour. That's telling you. Now, Jeff has already said that he may not have a lot to say, but do you just want to just make a uh, an opening statement of any sort, Jeff? Um, well, between uh, that list on Wikipedia and what uh, Rick Wall just came up with, I think that's a pretty good list. I really don't have anything right. to add to it. Right. Uh, any clarification you need in terms of, of of what we're talking about in terms of exoskeletons? Are you you you're pretty clear on 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 how we're defining this? I mean, for instance, oh, yeah. I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah, I I think I understand it pretty well. But if you want to go over that again, Dave. No, 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 no. No, I just want to give you a a chance to make a contribution. Let, let's go on to Ken then. Ken. Okay. Um. If we go into the branching out of exoskeleton and also to to a mecha suit that can transform into a ship, I don't know if we go into that. I mean that 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 
seems what it derives from. When I saw Aliens and Ripley gets into the power lifter, I know I kind of squealed to myself and went, oh boy, Robotech, you know, <laughs> with that. Macross, the, you know, anime series. So we we had a tradition in some of the Toho films with a Mecha Godzilla where you have, um, it's a gigantic version of, I guess, of a power suit where you'd have the operators, like in, like in, um, in Pacific Rim, we'd have the operators in this gigantic robotic battle armor and uh, to face the, the giant monster. But somewhere it's done, I mean, it's beautifully done in Aliens. I mean, that's just such a cheering moment in the film. And the great thing is when she's using the, the uh, lifting suit earlier in the film, it's like, Nothing's for. It's not just there for just uh, background. You know, it's going to come uh, into bear later in the film, and it's beautiful how that's done. Uh, District Nine. I, I just want to give kudos to. Um, I haven't seen Elysium. Uh, that's gotten good and bad reviews, but District Nine I think is just brilliant documentary style, and it's. Um, not to give any spoilers too much on it, but it's um, a um, ghettoized version, alien South Africa. It's kind of, it's a way it's like alien nation, but um, a little more sociopolitical. And a human being gets involved who is in a, uh, uh, to contain aliens, and he's using this battle suit, alien battle suit at the end which is almost joined to him on a uh, psychic, uh, emotional level. And it's a brilliant film. Any, any, anyone here seen it, District 9? Yep, I love it. Yeah, it's just... It's amazing how low, low the budget was on it and how good it is. But I've never seen a movie. The, the effects, and you're weeping in the film. The character, yeah. he's just kind of a nebbishy middleman corporate guy. And you you fall in love with this character. A bureaucrat. Yeah, bureaucrat. Uh, Wickes is his name. And yeah. by the end of that film, if you're not in tears uh, with the way it's done, it's just the film is just so creative. It, it's you know it it just gets me kind of giddy talking about it because the the style of the film is just so brilliantly done. It it. You'll watch it if you come into it and you go, "What's this weird documentary I'm watching?" You know, it's it's just done so well. Um, Iron Man, of course, that that is an exoskeleton, but but you think of it as neat armor. Um, sometimes the exoskeleton is also that you can see the person inside, and it's kind of an extension of self. But it is. It is that, but it is so high tech, tech and nice on it. I haven't seen Wolverine, you know, any of that. Starship Troopers, the power suits were, were so important. The job suits were so important in the book. They never had them in the first movie, but they happened to uh, have them in the third film, which is really fun and satirical and kind of a blast. It's shown on cable every now and then. Yeah. 
but that, that's my initial thoughts on it. Uh, really fun when they do it. Um, again, an extension to what was done in Aliens in Avatar um, with that power suit. It was just, I would say, a little more badass, and more, uh, you know, battle-ready and applicable uh, to the environment. But um, what is he's doing? Three more Avatar sequels? I mean, he, he mentioned... That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's... God. I love the first one, but I don't know if you, you can mine it that much that soon. But, okay. Okay, well, uh, let me just uh, play a clip from the, the original Iron Man, and then uh, Jeff might have something to read out for us, and then we'll go and have a look at uh, one of these lists that we've got. You've been called the Da Vinci of our time. What do you say to that? Absolutely ridiculous. I don't paint. What do you say to your other nickname, the Merchant of Death? That's not bad. They say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I prefer the weapon you only need to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. To peace. Is it cool if I take a picture with you? Yes. It's very cool. I don't want to see this on your MySpace page. Please, no gang signs. No, throw it up. I'm kidding. And I'm going to stop it there because this is going to be the issue with some of these clips is that um, uh, if you're actually watching the visuals with the sound, uh, they make sense. Uh, without the visuals, uh, some of them are either just descriptive um, or, or they don't add to the to the podcast as a whole. So uh, if Jeff would uh, just do the honours and then we'll have a yes. look at this list. Well, Mike, who had to drop off audio for a bit, um, has put in a couple of other series into the text chat. Uh, he mentions Gundam and also the Neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, which I'm not familiar with either of those. Uh, maybe if Mike comes back later, he can expand on those. Is anyone else familiar with those two series? I have seen some Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, anime. They're both anime. anime both anime uh, series. Um with Mecha, and it's generally, I think, the, the suits that can uh, transform into uh, into planes and ships, you know, as as in Macross. I mean, generally, a lot of a lot of the anime in that style have uh, the giant robot that becomes the giant uh, spaceship uh, or spaceship plane. Or plane. Or... Okay, well, let, let's uh, give ourselves a little bit of structure to, uh, to enhance our abilities. How about that, then? Um, uh, we're looking at the page uh, device, www.device.com forward slash archives uh, from 2009. The easiest way is probably to put it in Google. The 10 most badass sci-fi battle suits ever by Kevin Hall. And this is from 2009. And there are a couple of updates, of course, because of uh, programs or films that have come out since then. Uh, we're not going to go... We're just going to go and read 
through these. I might ask Jeff if I stumble a bit to read a couple for me, but let me just read uh, verbatim, as it were, from the top of the screen. Uh, seen District 9 yet? This is the one that uh, both Ken and uh, Rick Wall uh, gave the thumbs up to. If not, don't worry. I won't spoil anything for you, but if you have to know that hulking... Sorry, but if you do have... you know, What's that? But if you have... You... Oh, right. But if you have, you know that hulking robotic suit featured in the trailer shows up and stuff gets nuts. God, that's bad. I think... I'm not sure yeah, if it's English or am I reading. I think they need a comma in there. Something. It would have made yeah. it a little easier. Yeah. So what got us thinking? What other awesome powered armor, exoskeletons and battle suits from science fiction have left a similar lasting impression? We're not just talking movies here either. Books, video games and even tabletop gaming. It's all in there. Of course, yes, the, the son used to play that Warhammer game. Is it Warhammer? I think it was Warhammer... 40,000 or something, uh, you know, from uh, Games Workshop. It was into all the Games Workshop things where you actually had real boards and so on. It used to, it used to be quite good, actually, because we used to go shopping and we'd leave him there for an, an hour and a half and we'd come back and he'd say, you what, you're finished already? Because <laughs> we finished doing the shopping. Ah, there you go. Um so, uh, number one, I'm not, sh I'm not going to use in reverse order because we're just using these as a, as a, a reference to us. So, um, uh, seen in Aliens at 1986, uh, the power loader, special weapons, super powerful, two-pronged claws, and of course, Ripley doesn't leave home without one after all, a mini flamethrower. <laughs> Claim to fame? Uh, right when this forklift on crack followed up in Aliens, we all knew it was too cool to just lug crates around. Taking on an alien queen, awesome. So awesome, in fact, that you can see the load of yourself at the Science Fiction Museum in Seattle. Um, I must admit, I think uh, Ken said, uh, uh, to me, that was one of the best uh, scenes that made uh, Ripley you know, a real superheroine, wasn't it? Yeah. Anybody wants to... Right? Uh, I, I mean, I think it's probably so well known that it almost goes out saying we don't even have to tell people about that one. Uh, I think that's... Um, although it's not designed for battle, uh, the way that she uses it, and um, and and it is one of the the fairly early ones. As I say, Robot Jocks was 1993 years earlier. Um, E-Frame, uh, seen in Exasquad, from 1993, special weapons. Depending on the suit, E-frames do it all, from flying around in space to firing all kinds of lasers and missiles at Neo-Sapiens. Claim to fame, Americans answer to Japut's Mechi-Happy anime. Really, we couldn't hope for a much better outer space opera geared towards kids. One that can you can relive on Hulu, as it turns out. And of course, there are all pictures with this uh, I'll read the one from Starship Troopers and then maybe I can impose on Jeff to read a couple after me on that. Sounds good. Okay, uh, number three, MI-powered armour. Uh, allow uh, a new member to uh, chat, text chat. We're talking about exoskeletons uh, and uh, we're just looking at the link um, that I will re-put in just in case you're not in the pro client. 
and its Seeding Starship Troopers, 1959. Special weapons, mobile infantry power armour, makes the average soldier faster, better, stronger. Ooh, sounds like the $86 million man there. <laughs> um, we are multiple different versions of the armour adapted to fill specialised roles, which highline greatly details. Yes, it's a book, folks. Those little things that you can buy from uh, bookshops or even go to places called libraries. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, claim to fame, absent from the films, although the mess that was Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, took a shallow stab at the concept, Highline's powered armour that is to military exoskeletons what Asimov's bots are to robo- modern robotics. Described by Rico, that's the hero, of course, from Starship Troopers, as steel gorillas. Brilliant, I like that. Uh, the mobile infantry's powered armour blurs the line between infantry and armoured unit, something that today's military would love to see. And we're talking actively working towards from near-future applications such as uh, Sarkos exoskeleton to the more futuristic powered armour concepts. And there's, uh, again, another schematic there showing uh, what uh, they would look like. Um, oh no, that's the picture above the schematic. It's for the next one. Would you do the others for the next two for us? And anybody who wants to comment on any of these, just jump in, please. Well, number four is the nano suit, as seen in Crisis from 2007. Its special weapons, different modes such as super strength, speed, hardened armor, or a cloak, make the nano suit a force to be reckoned with. Now, its claim to fame is not only does Crisis boast some of the best graphics around, its crazy nanosuit is the metric ton of cherries on top. The nanosuit looks great to boot, rivaling even the Master Chief and Badassery, who can't be on this list, sadly. Cyborgs don't count. Update. Unlike his marathon predecessor, Master Chief is not a cyborg, or maybe he is. You'll find both points of view below, as the comments below have pointed out. However, he went on a crazy bender and couldn't come in for pictures in time to make this list, so he's still out. Sorry, folks. (laughs) Boy, they like to add a lot of humor to these, don't they? (laughs) Oh, and then number five, uh, Takamoa, I think is how you pronounce it, seen in Ghost in the Shell, and Standalone Complex from 2002. Its special weapons, an agile, spider-like body coupled with a playful built-in AI. While it looks more tank than suit, the degree of control the Takakamoa affords makes it like a second skin. Its claim to fame, in a very serious sci-fi universe, the Takakamoa stands out for its humor. Yep, it's essentially a comedian with a big old cannon fitted to its head. Okay. Um, yes, I mean, we we're, were talking about the ghost in the shell when we were talking about the um, animated uh, films recently. And, of course, uh, Crisis from 2007 is, um, is a game. And I think it's one of those games that really tests people's um, computer systems. And I think most people who are buying a new computer and got a new graphics card, uh, if they can run that at uh, 50 frames a second, they know they've got a pretty good graphics card. Um, although it might be, uh, I'm not sure actually if it's up to Crisis 2 now, 
because that's 2007. That's quite old in terms of uh, graphic games, isn't it? Uh, six years. So it must be uh, Crisis 2 that's the, the new t one to test it with. Okay, so um, let me read number six again. Jump in, guys. Um, in fact, no, let me... Uh, I've got a, a clip for this one. This is from uh, G.I. Joe. So let me find my little clip. I'll play the clip first, and then we'll read what it says about number six, the accelerator suit. I want the warheads ready to launch in one hour. When I'm finished, this world will never forget. faced a threat like this. A team is being assembled. They are the best operatives in the world. When all else fails, we don't. I want in. Standing in front of you, a Delta-6 accelerator suit. What's it accelerate? You. See what I mean about all the bangs and crashes? So playing that clip, we learnt it was at least a number six uh, accelerator. Um, uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, Jeff has put it, uh, Crisis 3 is out now. We're up to Crisis 3, so that must be the one talking about. Um, I did put in text that I would unmute somebody who came on the phone. Uh, obviously, uh, they weren't in text. I thought it might have been uh, one of our other guests uh, who's already in the room that was just coming in on audio to speak. Um, so without patience, that person has dropped off. Uh, sorry that we've lost them if they're listening back to the audio later, but um, uh, I wasn't going to unmute them in the middle of playing a clip because the obvious thing is they may come straight in speaking. So we just try and uh, use those conventions just to help keep the audio reasonably clean for those people who listen to the download later. Um, so um, let me just read this about the accelerator suit and then see if anybody on audio has any comment to make about it. So seen in G.I. Joan, Rise of the Cobra, 2009. Of course, we heard Christopher Eccleston's voice in there, didn't we? The Ninth Doctor. Anyway, special weapons, arm-mounted minigun, grappling gear, and all-round enhanced abilities. Just about the only thing it doesn't improve 
uh, is one of the ability to act. Well, I hope they weren't talking about Christopher there. Um, claim to fame for some, the accelerator suit represents the death of all things G.I. Joe, with the costumes being ditched for a rather drab-looking battle suit. For others, it represents a f- serious toy franchise dollars. Although, to be fair, with technologies such as the Hulk battle suit, is it H? H-U-L-C, Batsuit, right around the corner. The days of toy soldiers dressed like pro wrestlers are probably over. Pity uh, that uh, Logan isn't on audio, uh, are still with us for that, because uh, he's a big fan. Uh, I remember being very excited when G.I. Joe was coming out. So anybody in the room want to comment on about um, whether this was a good thing for the G.I. Joe franchise or, or what? I'm thinking of uh, Ken most likely to be able to come in. Really? G.I. Joe is not my thing. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Animated okay. work film. Okay. Well, but, but I guess it sells toys, so the Hasbro right. would be very happy. Right. Yeah, I mean, of course, the first film to do uh, toys and things was um, Star Wars. But I'm, I've been trying to rack my brains. I don't think there are any exoskeletons in Star Wars, are there? Um, Darth Vader's suit. Oh, Would that trust? count as an exoskeleton? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. it helps him breathe. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, what's boy? It stops him being... It's a protection against being poisoned, isn't it? And so on. But also his limbs are damaged, and so it... You know, he he has. I mean, they they uh, surgical means to give him mechanical limbs and arms, but the the it increases his strength, allows him to breathe, it protects him from the elements. So I guess it would qualify. And his cloak looks good. Yeah, <laughs> and to an, and and to an extent. How do the stormtrooper and the clone trooper uniforms do they give oh. any extra strength and exoskeleton power to the wearer? Well, they certainly have seem to have special goggles, don't they? I mean, the sort of the, probably they've got night vision in those or yeah. heat 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 things. So yeah. there you are. I don't know. Those, I mean, there's quite a few of them. Maybe it'd just be armor, but but still that would. Uh, there yeah. was a there was an old movie here in America called uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Uh-huh. And Ray uh, Harryhausen. Yep. And uh, they what it was was uh, these UFOs came and uh, destroyed Washington. Uh, uh, shades of uh, ID four. And uh, the aliens came down, and they were in battle suits, and they were actually like ancient, um, uh, weazened, uh, old humanoids. And their yeah, suit, yeah, they were protected by those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their suit uh, gave them strength, uh, hearing, sight. Uh, had like a, a lightning ray gun type thing, um, and stuff like that. Um, uh, that's I, I just realized that um, um, that could you know that that should have been discussed also or you know mentioned uh, somewhere. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, that's the nope. only other one I could think of that hasn't been. An- another oh. example in Star Wars might be Boba Fett. Yeah. Uh, his suit makes him uh, allows him to fly, and he has weapons that he can use on the suit. And, and we I don't imagine. know if the Mandalorian armor strengthens him or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my oh, good point. Well, we'll come. At, I mean, the, the, generally in in movies, whether it's because of the actual, you know, the the the, the excitement of it, and maybe because of the original uh, Aliens one where we have it, they they, they tend to not just. Um, I mean, probably here the Iron Man is the exception. As 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 Ken, you were you were sort of thinking around the issue while you were actually talking about it in terms of it. It's such a close fitting uh, body armor. Um, that obviously is what an exoskeleton is, um, but we're so used to having these sort of giant machines that people sort of climb into, as it were, and they're operating, uh, you know, uh, move, you know, their small movements are, uh, ex- uh, what's the word, enhanced and uh, replicated at 10, 20 times the scale. So they swing their right hook and, and then the giant arm comes round. Uh, but of course, uh, the Iron Man suit is exactly that because it protects him while he's flying through the air, protects him from bullets. Um, it has the, the the rockets in the in the shoes. Um, uh, and I'm just thinking, what's that? And yet, other there's one? a whole it's entire just... control center within the helmet of control screens yeah. and visuals and. Yeah, what's just coming to my mind is Rocketeer, but the Rocketeer... Do you remember the Rocketeer film? But well, isn't Rocketeer that just a flying... Just a, just a jet pack. And, it's and just a, a jet and pack. A, and a, just and a, a pack and a helmet, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. And so the, that, the, the question is, the, the question is, how come his pants don't set on fire? Must be made of asbestos. No, 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 you must tell the truth, because it's liar, liar, pants on fire. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. That how that how was very creative. So uh, <laughs> must have been a very okay. cold, cold fusion flame. Oh, right. Let me go to number seven. I don't really know this one, but I'm just reading it as it is. Uh, Gundam RX seventy eight, seen in Mobile Suit Gundam nineteen seventy. Nine. I'm not even sure what it is. Into I think it's a game. I think uh, special Anime. weapons. Anime, is it? Thank you very much indeed for that. I appreciate your input here on this, uh, Rick Wall. Um, A plethora of Gundam robots are out there, have wielded anything and everything, but there's usually a general combination at work, a ranged weapon, a shield of some sort, and a close combat weapon. Classically, a Jedi-esque beam sword. Claim to fame, giant robot. Um, And... um, I'll read one more, then maybe uh, Jeff will do the honours on the last two. Uh, and jump in, anybody, if you've got comments. Oh, I mentioned this before, Warhammer 40,000. Um, Space Marine Armour. This is from 1987. Um, special weapons. While each genetically enhanced Space Marine is really a weapon unto himself, uh, this power armour, our armour, if you please, rounds him out as one of the toughest soldiers in the universe. 
Claim to fame, science fiction is chock full of Marines that also happen to be in space. But how about Marines are in space during a universe-spanning dark age that takes place during the 41st millennium? Oh, that's why it's called 40,000. That's the year it takes place in. Never even knew that, you see. I should have asked my son. Shows how interested I was in. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, any any games players from the uh, games workshop? Do you have the games workshop in America? Must do, must you? Yes. It may be an American firm for all I know. I mean, it was great. I mean, we used to go to the shopping centre and they had this, and you always see a a, a, a gaggle of uh, teenage lads hanging around. Uh, and they'd have the that mind you, the staff were always excellent. I mean, the kids would go in there for virtually three years and probably come out buying a stick of glue. You know, I mean, they spent about a, a, do, a dollar. And I'm not talking about the glue to sniff or anything. I'm talking about they bought the cheapest thing they could afford because they'd spent three hours in the shop. They had to come away with something. Now, they buy a little pot of paint. Mind you, that wasn't cheap. It was about $5 for a little ink pot full of paint. Anyway, uh, Jeff, would you do me the honors on the last two, please, of these? Certainly. Uh, number nine, we have the Advanced Power Armor, as seen in Fallout 3 from the year 2008. Now, its special weapons, much like the aforementioned Space Marine Armor, the powered suits featured in the Fallout series are heavily armored performance enhancers. It'll stop everything from bullets to Canadians. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, we don't mean it. We don't mean it. Radio Free Scarrow, we don't mean it. <laughs> Well, I'm just reading what it says, folks, so... Blame it on Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Now, its claim to fame, Fallout's power armor presents a visage as striking as a stormtrooper's, set in a memorable post-apocalyptic world to boot. Whether you're wearing it on... Whether you're wearing it or running from it in the game, it'll leave a lasting impression. Of all the armor on the list... Fallout's retro-futuristic powered armor is probably the close... I, I think that should be the closest to being realized. Hell, slap some plating on the Halleck exoskeleton and that'd be darn close. I gave you a good one to read out there, didn't I? Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, Thanks, can, we, we, can, we can both read, you know. Yeah, we memorable can. Post- <laughs> memorable post-apocalyptic world. Not easy to say, the... no. Uh, anybody want to comment on that one before we go to the tenth one? Fallout three? Anyone? Okay. Well, I guess we'll okay. go on to number ten. Bueller. Uh, Prawn. <laughs> number ten is the Prawn Battle Suit, as seen in District Nine, uh, the film from two thousand nine. Now, its special weapons are a lighting cannon on one arm and a machine gun thing on the other. Both make fools explode. It's also got a bullet-stopping trick it can do, just like Neo, but you'll just have to see the movie to check that out. Its claim to fame, well, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Go see District 9. You'll remember this thing. Trust me. Uh, Spoiler-free, guys. Anything you can comment on 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 that? It's amazing. It's, It's just amazing. But... There, there is a scene. It's like about 300 bullets being shot at the person in the suit. 
the bullets freeze in midair, and he sends them flying back at his attackers. Yeah, um, it's 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 just amazing the things they have this suit doing, and it it's so linked to the person. It it it's not it acts like a second skin in attitude because it it almost anticipates need. And um, it, it's 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 just amazing. I, I hope, I hope they do a sequel to this film someday. I hope they really do. And, and this is a quite ha- large scale machine, is it? Uh, exoskeleton. Um, I mean, the person sits in that little window like area at the top. It's yeah, it, it's larger than a human being. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the picture. Sorry, Ken. It looks like it's got a windscreen wiper across. <laughs> it's probably some sort of arm, but it's got this screen that obviously the operator looks through. Yeah. It's got this sort of metallic. It looks like it's got a windscreen wiper. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Seems a bit sort of pedestrian to have that sort of thing on a. You know, I'm tough. I don't need a windscreen wiper. <laughs> oh, anyway. Okay, let's um, time for another clip. That's um, one of the rather successes, I think. Um, not necessarily the greatest uh, uh, dramatic uh, sci-fi film, um, even with it, Edris Silver in it. But the uh, Pacific Rim has done rather well at the box office. Uh, Two hundred million, I think, are something along those lines. Let's uh, play a trailer from that. And as I've said before, uh, playing trailers, they're, out, they're they're put up there to be played. They want them being, um, you know, uh, played to as many people as possible. So I feel we're we're quite within our rights to play these trailers. So here we go. <laughs>
Well, that sounded absolutely marvellous at my end. Uh, I hope it sounded good at your end. It was um, brilliant. Um, I mean, you really do need a surround sound system. I'll watch them in the cinemas. Uh, Mike has put a couple of things in text. If Jeff would be so good as to read that, and then I'll just mention a little bit about the film. Yeah, Mike just mentioned that uh, in that last trailer that we heard, it featured Ellen McClain, the voice of GLaDOS from the Portal from the Portal games using the same voice effects. Um, he, he says that, uh, that the voice wasn't really used in the final movie, though. They got permission from Valve to use that effect, I guess, for, for the, uh, the trailer. Hmm. Well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, it might be one of these speech modulators like they use in Doc 2 and that, but um, just noticing as well, as I said, mentioned Idris Elba, noticed that Ron Perlman, uh, of course, he played, was it Hellboy and lots of other things in that, uh, but, you know, it uh, shows how out of date I am with money. I said this film made about uh, nearly 200 million. No, no, no. It cost 200 million to make. Mm. Um, a little different there. In, yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, um, I know these films in America now. I mean, they, they spend something like £30 million on the advertising budget. Where, I mean, uh, District 9? Let me just have a look at District 9, looking at the wiki pages for these. District 9. <laughs> yeah. Bingo, David. Bingo. You're right on the money. The budget, would you guess, for District 9? £30 million, which was what I was just saying was probably... The uh, the advertising budget for <laughs> Pacific Rim, uh, it, it, the disparity is unbelievable, really. Maybe, uh, they're, and then, maybe um, they're catering over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. No, not even. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, well, we've got Rick Wall here, who who is a film producer, and that Rick Wall. What's the cheapest you would say? Uh, you know. It, What's the cheapest that somebody could ever have a chance of getting a movie? Maybe not distributed, but let's say uh, I don't know to the um, the, the the Robert Redford um, film theater or the Palm. What's the cheapest you could ever actually get a film made now? What you ten million dollars? You could get a you could get a film made for a couple of hundred dollars or a couple of thousand dollars and put it into a uh, uh, um, uh, a uh, film festival uh, um, you know uh, just say that you're going to defer payment um, you mean the you mean the actors you mean the actors get paid afterwards you mean, Is that what you mean? yeah um, but a uh, um, uh, big Big production type movies, uh, thirty million on District Nine is the lowest special effects movie I've ever heard of in my life. Well, presently, uh, presently, presently, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Terminator was something like what fourteen million at the time. Yeah, the first Terminator. But that was, but what, yeah, but, the but that was their budget. I mean, that's probably like a hundred million now. Yes, you know. What, what what was the one with torches where they shining torches in the face and going into the woods? What was that uh, horror film called? Uh, that was supposed to be very cheap, wasn't it? Oh, um, well, um uh, yeah. <laughs> Blair Witch. Blair Witch yes. project. Yeah, that Blair that Witch was project. like a nothing. That that was like a miracle uh, internet freak movie. So thanks, Mike. Yeah. 
that 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 but that happening. But um but those are the exceptions, really, that that, that basically prove the rule that, you know, uh, presumably 100 million is probably about the baseline now, I would think. Um, even for a, a, well, for a rom-com, you could probably get away with maybe 50 million. Of course, again, as I say, it depends on how much you're going to spend on, uh, on publishing it, uh, not publishing it, uh, promoting it. And how much um, the, ca- the cast is going to be. The thing, thing with District 9... Uh, it was released, I think, in uh, presented by Peter Jackson. Right. So the, the 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 foot in the door was in for that, you know. He, um, right. You know, he well, probably would have had to pay more in, in promoting, you know, otherwise, and that that took people by, uh, you know. But you know, I, I I don't think films should cost as much as they do. I. I, I the studios just give these arbitrary budgets, and I mean, as much as I liked, and it was a failure box office wise. John Carter was like two hundred and fifty million. Please, you know, right? It makes you cringe. Yeah. Well, well, one of the, one of the changes nowadays, of course, is they're going over to this digital digital medium of uh, of the actual. You know, they don't have to send out all the film. Uh, to the because yeah, I mean one of the big things about America seems to be I know we're getting slightly off topic now but uh, excuse us for doing so um, the, the initial weekend seems to set the scene in other words if 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 it doesn't make the headlines in its first weekend it might survive to the second weekend and 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 then be called a slow burner but basically. Uh, they have to get it in, in. Is it in front of something like three thousand screens in the first weekend? Yeah. Now that's an awful lot of copies of film to get out. So the 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 way that's digitally done to uh, satellite. I don't know whether they do the sound on disc now or whatever. But um, by digital means, other than actually a cartridge digital, but actually transmitted overnight digital. Um, yeah. That that must cut the the cost down. Uh, considerably, and if it doesn't I make two hundred million plus, it thought it was a failure, right? Uh, and, and wasn't that one of the reasons as well for the for the staggered introduction of film, where they'd be in America, you would try and hit your Fourth of July, your big summer blockbuster weekends. In the UK, nobody's seeing the yeah. pictures in the summer because we we might have a sunny day and we can get out. So, uh, <laughs> what, what happens is that the same prints might actually, you know, be checked for. You know, because they've only been used for about three weeks of the cinema and then they go back, those same films could be sort of washed or whatever they do with them, clean them, and then shipped uh, to other countries. That that whole way of doing things now can't be done. I mean, um, we've even noticed that with TV and Doctor Who, the sort of simulcasting it being aired in countries, presumably to get around people, you know, being impatient and... and uh, going to torrent sites and this, that, and the other. Anyway, we're probably getting too far off the... Unless anybody else wants to make a comment on 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 that sort of side of things. Um, I do have another film that would count as an exoskeleton, I think. We good, please do. Um, Robocop. Now, I thought about no. Robocop, but he's, he needed that to live. He's a cyborg. Isn't he a bit, yeah, he's a little bit... Wasn't he a little bit like... It, it, it was a policeman that that got shot or something, wasn't well, it? But if we count Darth Vader as an exoskeleton, 
Right. Maybe, I mean, the thing is, he still has his body underneath there. Yeah, I suppose it's a question whether they can survive without it or not, because otherwise it's basically a moving iron lung, isn't it? Well, yeah. But I'm sure that's something that... that it's one of those where you, you can have an opinion either way, I would think. Yeah, it's but it's certainly worth certainly a worth mention. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's something, absolutely, that is always the way to do things. And, um, also, and, well, also, me, they're, and also they're doing a remake of it. Make a mention on that. Right. Uh, let, 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 let me uh, move us on to, uh, as Ian would say, Fern Gully in space. Let's have a clip from Avatar and the AMP suit. Um, and this... I think is a clip from that rather than the trailer. Oh, he's talking about the it. The amp suit, basically in a nutshell, is an amplifier of a human operator. It's you know super hydraulics are all very strong, so it can crush buildings and do all the things that like a tank would do. In this particular instance, the amp suit itself is is more like a vehicle. The operator stands in his canopy and is in an interface that takes his movement and translates them to the outside limbs. So that when the operator moves its hands, like let's say 10 inches, the machine might move at 10, you know, 20 feet. So we're making a kind of call it an Apache helicopter with legs. The soldiers on the planet or use these things for both work purposes and going on patrol. So we're going to build a real practical one for the actors to interface, climb into the cockpit to, you know, to get that textural feeling and, and the realness of that. There's a, it's a neat interface going on. Light him up! Yeah, I, can't, I couldn't believe that. They actually built a full-scale, up, certainly the upper half of one, for the, the, the colonel to get in. And, uh, without spoiling the show, there's a there's a fantastic fight scene involving one of those. Um, really uh, great scene. So, um, any fans of Avatar and the AMP suit? Very much a fan of that film. Um, again, it borrowed freely from John Carter of Mars, I have to say that. Um, a lot of things borrowed from that Burroughs uh, novel. But the suit, again, James Cameron took what he did with Aliens, went many steps further, and there's there's a look to James Cameron films, whether it's Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, real-world uh, application that, that it doesn't seem so futuristic and um, real believability to what he puts on screen. You know, amongst the fantasy and the brilliant colors and and what have you. But uh, technical, I mean, I, he, he really does his homework on it, I think. Okay. Right. Well, uh, I've got some more clips. But before we do that, there's an, another link that I put in very much near the beginning. And this has just um, got five in here. So let's let's just uh, use that. We're not, we're not doing this as a list episode as such, but this is from... Um, www.popularmechanics.com technology, but um, um, it's called um, the. If you go put in Google, history of Iron Men, science fiction's five most iconic exoskeletons, and uh, well, let me just go to number one first. Um, uh, and it's uh, 
In this golden age of Hollywood visuals, exoskeletons are everywhere, from James Cameron's tiring AMP suits. Oh, what about a segue there? Straight to the right one. Um, lumbering through the alien jungles of Pandora, uh, in Avatar, to Stony Stark's night in powered armour, which rockets back to the screen in Iron Man 2, uh, out next month when this was written in April 2010. Uh, the excuses that kept the Mechana uh, exoskeleton out of the 1997 movie adaption of Starship Troopers have been stomped flat by the current intersection of animation and live action. So how did a weapon thrillingly, nakedly, badass as the exoskeleton survive, even thrive, in the hoary old days before CGI set up a beachhead in our collective imagination? Here are all the all-stars fictional exoskeletons and look around sorry and a look i was doing so well as well here are the all stars of fictional exoskeletons and a look at how sound outdated are just downright fanciful the technological principles that back these suits up are and of course they mentioned them um, iron iron man armor mark three and it says Tales of Suspense 1963. Even before the 2008 film, the red, yellow and uh, alliteration of Iron Man armour was possibly the world's most recognisable exoskeleton. Designed and drawn with the casual improbability of comic books, the Mark III suit is metallic yet muscle-bound, with felt boots concealing powerful rockets and equally form-fitting chest and palm-mounted energy weapons. The Iron Man armour is not, uh, not about gauging the future of military hardware, but creating the gadget-based equivalent of Superman. The movies had a whiff of realism, fight control flaps uh, that shuttle open and close, and more missiles than ray guns. Reimagining a suit was a kind of compact, wearable jet fighter. Now, we don't want to read all that's on this uh, thing, so that's all I'm going to read from that page. I'm going to go to page two, Jeff. If you can... Prepare yourself and move on to page three as well. I'll ask you to read a little bit from that one, if you would be so kind. But I'll go to two first. And this, of course, is, um, again, going to the Starship Troopers. Mobile infantry-powered armour, Starship Troopers, at 1959. This is, of course, talking about when it first appeared in our consciousness in the written form. And again, I'm not going to read it all, but um, the exoskeleton appears to have been born in 1937, even predating that, in E.E. Doc Smith's series of Lensman's books. Not mentioned that before. Um, but it was Robert Hi uh, A. Heinlein's military SF star classic Starship Troopers that made the concept famous as the mobile infantry brought an intergalactic interspecies war Wearing suits, powered armour, Highland's description of these exoskeletons is actually pretty sparse, comparing them to me mechanical gorillas equipped with rockets for leaping around the battleground and with an arsenal ranging from anti-personnel guns to tactical newts. So, um, again, I don't want to read all that. I'm sorry for those people listening to the recording later, but if they go to popularmechanics.com, it's their content. Um, the other ones just have very brief descriptions, which was hard to paraphrase i certainly don't want to read all this out um let's just read why it's smart more than half a century later highly and highline suits are still the holy grail of modern warfare with systems that combine two-legged all-terrain mobility and boots on the ground situational awareness of infantry with the protection of firepower of an armored vehicle 
minus the nukes. The mobile infantry was also a kind of overcompensating prediction of the role that small units of well-equipped special operation forces would eventually play. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Some really great stuff to read on that. And hopefully that's given Jeff uh, enough time to um, familiarize himself with the third one in this list. Oh, the third one is The Power Suit from Metroid, 1986. As geeky cave paintings go, Samus Aran's power suit from the original Nintendo game Metroid is a vivid one. It vaults its wearer into the air, it fires increasingly powerful bolts of energy and missiles, and somehow, for some reason, it rolls up into a ball. Don't worry about how or why, this suit was a gift from an alien race woven into the bounty hunter's very flesh. Later games in the series would add a grappling hook, a more defined, less pixelated look, and colossal shoulder pads to balance out the bulky helmet. But as the basic as Samus's suit was at the, at the time, it remains an early pop culture example of the exoskeleton as alien gift, as well as powered armored as, as well as powered armor that either borrows from or merges with biology. Why it's smart? Some power suits are famous without the added bonus of being well thought out. This is one of them. By claiming extraterrestrial heritage, however, the Metroid power suit is part of a long sci-fi tradition of sidestepping known physical laws by assuming the inherent smarts of, space, of space-faring aliens. Okay, and I'll read what Mike's put while you've done that. Uh, Samus, is it power suit? was also a neat way of hiding the surprise reveal of Samus being a woman in the first game. Of course, we're talking computer games here, uh, two-dimensional two platform games here, as the date would suggest, uh, 1986. And again, I put the, the link to a couple of those in the room. Uh, the next one, um, number four, is... Um, I don't know whether Jeff wants to move on to five... Uh, prepare. Um, it's the Caterpillar Power Loader again from Aliens from 1986. Again, I'm going to paraphrase and just read parts of this. In fact, let's go straight. We've we've done about what it was because we've we've played the clip. Let's just read why it's classed as being smart by popular mechanics. Uh, the climatic extraterrestrial brawl may, brawl may have immortalised the Power Loader, but the open cockpit design, Caterpillar paint scheme, and the blue collar mission. Uh, set are what made the exoskeleton so believable. Nearly every real-world exoskeleton project, including the Japanese HAL-5 from Cyberdyne, hmm, the Pentagon-funded EXO from uh, uh, Sarkos Rayton, whatever that is, um, from Lockheed Martin and UC Berkeley, emphasizes enhanced strength and load-bearing capabilities. The ability to grapple with monsters or fire awesomely big rifles is not a hindsight, uh, uh, a highlight of most of the funding requests. So, in other words, it's seen basically as um, uh, as a a utility item for moving uh, cargo goods around. And one of the things that's happening in the UK at the moment, um, the post office, which has been owned by the government 
yeah, I'm not going off topic here, um, is, is going to be offered for sale. It's going to be privatised. And some people think, oh, yeah, that's typical, isn't it? Now nobody sends any letters. The government is selling it off so that some poor schmuck will have it, but nobody will send any letters because they do it all by email. But, of course, that's not the case. With the growing internet uh, of people buying things from Amazon and eBay and so on, uh, the actual parcel delivery side is going up. And, of course, parcels equal weight. And with all the health and safety things going around at the moment, you know, you've got to bend your back and uh, people can't be asked to, to lift more than 20 kilos and this, that and the other. Um, some sort of uh, enhanced suit that would give you the ability to sort of lift parcels all day long without, uh, you know, doing your back in. Uh, it's obviously got real world and practical applications, whether we're uh, invaded by aliens or not. Anyway, uh, uh, let's go. Uh, go on. Um, Dave, uh, Sarkos Raytheon is one of the biggest uh, defense uh, manufacturers here in America, by the way. Oh, right. So there, there will be. I mean, obviously, down the line, there will be use for that. But the point is that in terms of, I mean, you've only got to think of, um, I mean, look at it now, in, in the container ships, the, the largest container ships that have been constructed, and I've just been reading about this about two or three weeks ago, can hold 16,000 containers. 16,000 containers. And they have these giant lifts. And um, I saw this one program, it's called About Giant Machines in the UK. And um, the, there was this one shift where they were trying to break a record of how many he could stack onto the boat in... Um, I think it was in a one-hour period, and he stacked something like 80 in one hour, which is faster than one a minute, which was unbelievable. He broke the, the sort of team record, because that team and another team were always in competition. I mean, obviously, he couldn't do that continuously. This was a record-breaking attempt. I think he stacked something like 81 containers from the quayside onto the boat in particular slots, in uh, an hour, so um, <laughs> what what betting wouldn't that be? Rather than have a lift, you just get a giant, you know, uh, exoskeleton, and the boat just picking them up and using them, putting them in like leg, like a kid would put Lego blocks in a toy boat. I mean, perhaps that's too fanciful. I don't know. Anyway, uh, if Jeff is now prepared, uh, could you go on to the fifth one, please? Oh, I certainly will. I just hope I'm pronouncing this right. Majol well, you don't need to read it all. Yeah, you don't need to read it all. Uh, Majolner, Mark V. Majolner. Majolner. Okay. Yep. Thank you for that, Rick Wall. Uh, there have been notable exoskeletons since the nano suit from the 2007 game Crisis or the alien battle suit from last year's District 9, but at press time, Master Chief's outfit remained the last great icon in powered armor. The Mark V is not strictly original or unique. It's a stripped-down, refined version of the mobile infantry suit, as well as a hundred sloppy sci-fi book cover sets. I'm going to skip down to why it's smart. Aside from the recharging force field, which was more of a revolutionary game mechanic, all but replacing the clumsy health pack in first-person shooters, than a fictional def defensive system, the the suit is a surprisingly reserved concept. It's bo it boosts strength, allowing for better protection on the battlefield in hazardous environments without sacrificing mobility. 
although the Pentagon isn't paying anyone to build a space-worthy exoskeleton, everything else is in line with the final goals of the Army's future force warrior program. As exciting as an armored power loader might seem, a stronger, up-armored soldier capable of trudging miles through 100-degree desert without tiring and then jumping into a Humvee without ripping out its suspension is a more reasonable fantasy. Okay, uh, and I'm not sure whether um, Ken lost his audio there. He's showing us muted. Uh, if you hit star eight, uh, Ken, I'll know that you want to be unmuted. Um, well, uh, Rickwall seemed to know what the name of that game was, so do you want to comment on that one, Rickwall? Um, no, because that's the same spelling as uh, the early um, uh, Marvel Minolar um, uh, Hammer of Thor, so. Ah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And hopefully Ken is back with us on audio. Yes, I am. Brilliant. Okay, well, let me move to... I've only got a couple of more clips. Let's move to the Wolverine. Now, it's a rather long clip. I might cut it short, but the actual part where he does battle with a a basically um, exoskeleton um, samurai soldier, it appeared to me to be. Let me play the Wolverine trailer. Thank you for saving his life all those years ago. It's an honor to meet the Wolverine. That's not who I am anymore. After the war, the Yashida family business became Japan's largest. He made advances that have saved millions of lives. I want to offer you a gift, Morgan. You have struggled long enough. Your ability to heal can be passed to another. Allow someone else to shoulder your burden. Logan, son, I can make you. Mortal. Trust me, Bob. You don't want what I've got. I'm not ready to die. You're bleeding. Did you move? I'm not healing. She did this to me. This flesh is weak now. Hey, Bob! What are you? A chemist, a capitalist, a viper. So you can see the future. I saw you die. We will accept your surrender with respect. Is that all the men you brought? Right. 
And uh, actually, quite a long clip, that, sorry about that, but I actually cut it down even shorter because we were talking earlier, or at least I was, about you know the money they spend on promoting these films. Uh, Hugh Jackman actually recorded on the YouTube trailer, he records uh, an introduction, and at the end, you know, tells people to go out and get the tickets and don't forget to, to get the 3D version. Uh, so, I mean, that can't be cheap to sort of pay people like him to do all that extra promotion. And I put in text a link to the um, the wiki page about that. And the actual um, exoskeleton is called the Silver Samurai, an electromagnetical suit of Japanese armour with energized swords made of adamantium. Uh, has anybody in the room seen um, Wolverine yet? No. I know... Not yet. Uh, Not yet. No, it's pretty because I think Bruce will have seen it. Um, uh, I believe what I remember that Bruce had said that um, this is the second origin story in effect of Wolverine, isn't it? And I think I think he said that this was the better the better Wolverine movie because um, they seem to be running alongside. I mean, obviously. Uh, from what I I remember reading, and um, from the comic, but well, let's see. Let's ask the comic guys in the room. Is Wolverine the is is the Wolverine the favourite one in the comic book series of the X Men? Um, yes, at the, the moment now, yeah, yes. Uh, since since he was actually introduced in '69, uh, uh, he has been yes. Okay, now I want to make a, a declaration to those people who are children at the screen now when they're listening. I am not saying that Wolverine is a skeleton. He's the exact opposite. His skeleton is inside his body with the adamantium, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in inside his body. We're not talking about Wolverine because of him. Well, Dave, We're talking about actually the, what, the person. what they've done is, I mean, Wolverine always has his mutant powers. Right. And his bones come out of his flesh. What right. it was a man made fusion of man made his bones. Oh yes, I realise that. Okay. What I mean is it, it's internal to him. It's not yes. it, it, it's enhanced with his adamantium, but that's inside him. Right. And it's so an endoskeleton, by, not an exoskeleton. Yes. Well done, Rickwall. Get, get ten points, Jeff. Get ten points to Rickwall. Um absolutely, Ding. yeah. <laughs> so, um, see, I am this... smart. I'm, I'm just as smart as Daphne. I heard a whisper <laughs> to you there. I think I heard a whisper. Uh, okay. Good um, well, um, what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to play the the final clip I've got, and then I think it might be easier for because everybody's contributed uh, so nicely. Uh, uh, and I think we'll probably only run the two hours today. Um, I'll play the final clip and then, uh, you know, gather your thoughts, guys, about what you think about whether it's real-world applications of this, whether it's comic books, whether it's uh, upcoming films that you're aware of, um, are, are any sort of summation, comment, um, and uh, let me just play the, the clip from Iron Man 3. Got a lot of apologies to make. Nothing's been the same since New York. You experience things, and then they're over. I can't sleep. And when I do, I have nightmares. Honestly, 
Just a hundred people who want to kill me. I hope I can protect the one thing I can't live without. Some great sounds on these things uh um but um yeah I, I haven't forgotten that there was an actual iron man 2 between one and three but um that's the one uh that's the 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 latest movie iron man 3 uh budget again now this is a rather success story guys before i go to your last contributions budget 200 million box office 1.2 billion 1.2 billion. And Robert Downey Jr., what a change around in his career. Wow. Uh, but there you go. A lot of people would say, uh, and comment on this if you wish, uh, that the Avengers, or the Avengers Assembled, as they were called in the UK, uh, people, for all the, you know, the other the other people in it, it was Iron Man 3, or, or should I say, the fact that the the actor who plays Tony Stark, uh, uh, Iron Man, uh, the fact that he signed up for the next two of those films is probably what's uh, made them go ahead. Ken, you're the sort of inside guy on things like that. It, it, would that be true to say, the fact that um, Robert Downey Jr. signed up? It, Not only the, is it the go-ahead, part of his uh, signing his contract was to make sure that everyone else with him got a sweetheart deal. He's looking ah. out for the other people in the cast, wanting them to get paid something equitable. So, I mean, a lot of the budget on these Marvel movies, I mean, a lot is going to Robert Downey. I, I don't know the exact uh, amount as stated, but many millions. Um for his for his notable cachet uh, to be in it because Iron Man was a wonderful movie, but it all centers on how good he was in that in that performance as Tony Stark, and you know he he's kind of like the central core, you know, of those. He films. is Tony Stark. Yeah, and the um, next Avengers film. Is is going to be on the uh, villain Ultron, and evidently the the change is from being a creation of Hank Pym, who's Ant Man, Giant Man, into being a creation of Tony Stark's. 
it's gone wrong. So they're they're making a big link to that, you know, in in, in the film. Um, but um, they they really know what they're doing uh, with these with these movies, you know, um, slowly bringing everything together. Uh, in the future, I think they're going to do another Hulk film, um, etc. Thor, TV Thor show. Oh, it's sorry, Rick. Uh, Hulk TV show. Well, I think I think that's been canceled at the moment. Uh, what I read. Yeah, but there's talk of it again. Yeah, but the the Shield TV show starting in a few weeks. Twenty fourth. Yeah, done by Joss Whedon, which which should be very interesting. The uh, return of Agent Coulson uh, yeah. to that. It's be a lot of fun. Uh, is that going to be in, a, in its own universe, or is that a different no, no, timeline? It's, it's the I Marvel want... movie universe. I don't know if they're going to have any guest appearances by you know, Sam Jackson as Nick Fury or any of the others. Yes, Fury is going to be in it. Fury going to be able to be in Okay. Yeah, but they're they're going to have mentions about Thor and the Hulk and all of these things, and they're going to be tied in to what's happening in in the films. So there's going to be a link. It's going to be a great promotion for the Marvel uh, Phase Two, as they call it, of the films that are going on now. Yeah, and oh. go ahead, Dave. No, I was just saying that's that, that's all great, but I, I think we ought to, uh, as we're coming up to the two minute mark, uh, two minute mark, two hour mark, um, <laughs> wrap up. But since you've got the floor, Ken, would you uh, do sure. you want to make any comments? Uh, yeah, general, their yeah, contribution generally to... um, about exoskeletons. What, what makes it so fascinating is we all know we can't be Superman, and it's going to be really tough to be Batman because we're not wealthy. And we're not scarred from birth by tragedy and, you know, super physical specimens. But maybe they can really do an exoskeleton and we can get into that thing. And we can then be a superhero. We can have that augmented power. We can have that possibility. So that's, that's the fascinating thing, why everyone cheers so much when, when Ripley gets into that power driver or in any of these films when someone's strength and attitude and and entire persona is augmented you can you can become a superhero godlike when when you didn't think you had it in you and it's technology doing it and uh, watching the way it's done in films and in real scientific applic- application uh, it's possible i mean we see technology used in films. You know, Star Trek gave us, you know, the cell phone. And you look at Minority Report, they have a large version of an iPad in that film that Tom Cruise uses before an iPad uh, even existed. So it just it precedes uh, technology and uh, its real-life possibilities. And that would, that's what makes it so wonderful. And at the same time, a little machine that you've got, you're probably attaching flamethrowers and rocking launchers to that, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Is that true? For the next time you go to a convention to barge your way through? Yep. 
<laughs> or, or my hover car. Well, actually, just thinking that, you could almost, I mean, it isn't an exoskeleton, but you could almost say James Bond DB5 was not far short of that at one time, was it? Yeah. A precursor to it. There's my word for today, Jeff. That was the precursor to it in, in one sense. Precursor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, let's go to Rick Wall, and then we're obviously to Jeff. So, Rick Wall, uh, anything you want to just uh, round up your thoughts on today? Actually, uh, yeah. And uh, no, I don't want to go into the future, and I really don't want to talk uh, reality. I would like to go back into the past. And it's funny how I heard this from a friend of mine who's since died. He was a very famous inker with Marvel, um, um, Mike Esposito. Uh, it's funny how uh, Iron Man ca- uh, came into existence. Um, um, Jack, uh, oh boy, why did I just forget his last name. Jack Kirby? Jack Kirby drew him. And uh, Stanley hated it uh, when he first did it. So Jack put it in his drawer and uh, uh, Stan came up with the idea of putting out Tales to Astonish, a uh, book where he wanted um, I believe the Hulk and somebody else. He couldn't figure out who else to put in. He went up to Jack. Jack goes, uh, wait a minute, I got a perfect character, uh, Stan. Goes to the drawer, pulls out Iron Man. Stan was kind of reluctant, but he finally said, yes, okay, let's try it. Because to Stan, he wanted characters that had powers of their own, or something like a Batman, or you know, uh, uh, stuff like that. He didn't want a guy in a just a guy in a suit. Right. And uh, uh, Jack uh, Kirby convinced him uh, to to try him in, in Tales to Astonish and. And the rest is history, as they say. Yep. Yep. Uh, just while you've been talking about that, just may, and before we go to Jeff, if you'll excuse me, Jeff, um, to to you and to Ken, uh, just had a sudden thought: is um, is Doctor Octopus one of the villains, um, Spider-Man villains? Is his uh, an exoskeleton? I, I can't remember the uh, how he came into existence, but he has mechanical. Uh, Tubes and things, isn't with it? mechanical arms. Are, yeah, are. it wouldn't. It, yeah, I guess you could in in a in, expand it a little as to an exoskeleton since they are armored and whatnot. All right. Well, perhaps leave that one on the table for for our listeners to decide whether. That would come under the same category. Um, although, his body, although his body still is very fragile and unprotective, but you got to get through those flaying arms, which can be used for traveling in his legs and and whatnot. He's he's so good with it. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, just just throwing that out there. Uh, let, let's go to Jeff for his uh, final thoughts. Well, well, I have two thoughts. Um, first off, I think we missed an obvious candidate for this list. Uh, it's not from from movies. Uh, it's actually from TV, and that would be the Cybermen. Uh, no, because they can't live outside the suits. I mean, that was that was why I hadn't included them. Although I do realise Rick Wall mentioned another like that. Uh, uh, but no, actually, I would I, I, I would call them cyber. I would call them cyborgs. There, they have an exoskeleton. They have an exoskeleton in a sense. But then, yeah, they're a human typical brain one. inside a robot. Well, I yeah, but the, they don't climb. They don't climb into it and climb out. It's not that's something true. they use as a yeah. But that's true. But I wonder if the original Cybermen, if they wanted to, could they would probably started their, like that. Yeah, could come out of their suits. Which is why I didn't include uh, you know Daleks because apart from the fact that they're an alien race, but I mean um, you know at least the Dalek is a whole creature and can live for a short time outside the suit. Um, uh, Winter's the last story that Tegan was in. Um, trying to remember that where, where, where the uh, you know the Dalek escapes from the suit and they're all looking around for it, waiting for it to jump mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, uh, oh, Mike's put in something. The uh, Cybermen were all about gradually replacing human body with mechanical parts. So they so that means uh, all that remains would be the brain. Uh, yeah. But, but, you know, it's a valid thing to to show that we haven't overlooked whether that should be included or not. And it, it, if you feel it should, then, then that's um, a, valid, right. a valid point. I, I think it could be, at least uh, the original Cybermen from, you know, the classic yeah. series. And early on in the in the conversion, they, they might have been able to come out of that suit if they so needed to or wanted to. But my other okay. point was, um, you know, we have this technology, and it does seem like we are acquiring the ability to make these things. Uh, and that would be a practical um, application of it to help people that are disabled, people that um, maybe they, they can't lift their arms or legs on their own, maybe uh, somebody that's... Uh, oh. Uh, you know, it's bound in a wheelchair. Could get out of the wheelchair with this type of. Uh, I, I think in Japan they've shown they've shown some of those in Japan. I think um, where where they have exoskeleton, where they're just basically they're just for the legs, so they only go up to their waist. Uh, so they basically give them motorized legs, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, so, so I think that's exciting, uh, at least for younger people that are. Um, disabled in some way, maybe this technology could help them. Uh, that's just uh, that's just fantastic, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's always a blending. I mean, th- th- how many times have we seen this? I mean, it, it, go back to the original Star Trek series. You know, uh, the, I don't know whether it's true or it's it's just a, a folk tale that's gone around the internet about um, you know the sliding doors and uh, some uh, supermarket. Chapa or whatever he was, wanted to know how they could get the, the doors to open so fast because he, he wanted them for his storefronts. Uh, mm-hmm. And they had to explain that there were two men behind there, the screens doing it. But that led to the concept of, uh, well, not the concept, but less to the application being developed. 
uh, and so many other things. So I think you, you're quite right in what you're saying, Jevons, that, that science fiction can often be a not a proving ground, but it can be a proof of concept that that, that then moves gradually from from the uh, you know f- from theory to uh, being envisioned in books or or, or games or whatever you have and 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 it's the next generation of engineers that come along that grew up watching those things that think well why isn't it possible you know in today's world why isn't it possible and uh, that's absolutely great okay well i don't think i've got too much to add on to say um that um i've enjoyed this topic it's always something in science fiction that i've enjoyed for a long time um uh, and again, it, it probably goes down to me reading Starship Troopers a long time ago. That was probably my first introduction to this sort of idea. Uh, it only remains for me to uh, wrap up and, and thank everybody here who's been helpful in uh, bringing today's show, both those uh, on audio and uh, Mike and Cybob and uh, various guests and so on. Rick Walls had to drop off, I think, had to go and take Daphne for a walk. Uh, Daphne, I keep getting the name wrong of that. Um, sorry about that. Apologies. Um, let me get off before I make more than one mistake. I might do just one mistake today. I don't know. So thank you very much, Jeff and Ken, who are still on audio, and all the other people, Mike and Cybob and so on, that have been with us. And uh, we will be back next week. Look out, hopefully, um, with Mike's help in himself. Well, well, I think we've got one commentary already in the works to go up fairly soon. That would be parts um, uh, three and four of the Pyramids of Mars. Uh, parts one and two uh, combined are up on the feeds and up on zarban.com. And we will be moving on to the um, the fifth doctor uh, very shortly. So um, thank you for listening, um, and uh, thanks for all your input, guys. Let's play the outro. Bye now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.